welcome to Everything is Television. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm joined by Keith Krepko and Rob Adams. We're currently watching AMC's Preacher, and tonight we're going to talk about episode two, titled C. The episode opens with a big confirmation for Keith, mm-hmm. Sane of Killers, right? <laughs> so for those unfamiliar with the comic, the cowboy at the beginning of the episode is named Saint of Killers. Feels so good to be back on my high horse. <laughs> uh, feels so good to be right. Uh, yeah. Keith. Right, right. Were you, Rob, now I know you were probably shocked when. Stunned, stunned right? Yeah. When did, it, when did it hit you that it was Saint of Killers? Was it when you saw the girl sick in her bed or when he was standing in the doorway or it was, was it shadow. when they put 1881 it was the shadow it was the shadow and i was surprised that unlike anything else in the series so far it was beat for beat exactly how it plays out in the comics mm-hmm. and um i thought that was really cool and a little crazy because then mm-hmm. they just like drop it mm-hmm. um and it's very like hey we're gonna we're gonna show you this piece and we're gonna we're gonna give you some interesting story but we're not gonna tie it to anything we're not gonna bring it back we're not gonna refer to it it's almost like the like the first episode we had that space scene you know which is which is telling us something important right or at least it's leading to something and then this is leading to something i wonder if we're gonna get something like that every episode well you have this is coming from sam caitlin who was uh, a producer, executive producer on Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad is known for its cold opens. Yeah. I mean that that became like a staple of that show. And I read an interview where he was like, <clears throat> he's like, basically, I want to be Vince Gilligan. He's like, I'm definitely trying to do my own thing, but he's like, that's how much I respect Vince. And I feel like these cold opens are something that I'm. It would make sense if he continues on and it would, I think, be a good way to either tell a parallel story like the same, like I'd be okay if every cold open was just the next chapter in the Saint of Killers story. That's true. That's a good point. I don't think that they're going to be that linear with it, but they definitely could if they wanted to. Um, But I definitely think a preacher set itself up to say, it's going to be a show of cold opens like that. That's going to be one of their things. And, and I'm, enough, I'm okay with it. And there's enough pieces of backstory <laughs> that they want to tell and that they mm-hmm. have to tell that they could do something each time. And then oh, yeah. when you watch it, when you rewatch it and you actually know what, what it's going for, you know, like I would assume it's going to happen like towards the end of the season. You know, that should be really, really awesome. Yeah. Does anybody have any thoughts on what the campfire scene meant? Was that pulled directly from the comics, like the opening itself? Or was it, to me, the only thing I could really make of it was that the the, uh, guy is talking about I more or less, I guess, time being relative. And you're talking about manifest destiny. Right. And I thought that could was somehow playing into the idea of 
the Saint of Killers and it being 1881 or whatever mm-hmm. the year was. Keith, did 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 any was that just from the comics or did that no mean I didn't anything to you? I didn't read the uh, Saint of Killers spinoff series, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I don't know. Did, Rob, did you read the the Saint of Killers spinoff? Long time ago. Okay, but what so, I think the campfire scene does is there's no like real characterization that you're able to 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 pack into three minutes like like they did there with all right they're trying to talk to him they're trying to do this you know maybe this hint at um some some indian type stuff some native american type stuff and you know which is going to deal with his storyline and i want to get back to a little bit later with quinn cannon um there there's no easier way to do it than there and and have him you know only say like one word the entire time kind of just like you know, this is the character we're dealing with. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't going super deep on what the campfire actually meant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with, with Rob. If, if there was any meaning, they didn't worry about teasing that out because again, I only got this sense of you know, th- this man feels like <clears throat> the West and America represents a promise to the righteous that they deserve this land and, and have a right to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is obviously a theme that would be pertinent to preacher. And I think it does tie into the very next scene because you smash cut to a bunch of native Americans hanging from a tree, right. you know, and here's this guy talking about, this is a land of promise to the righteous but there's still blood soaking the land. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of pop culture references in this episode, or at least were being called out on Reddit and, and some that I noticed. Oh, I mean, I, there's a very definitive one with the big Lebowski stuff that we'll mm-hmm. talk about. But Keith, you were saying you got a, you were getting a bit of a gunslinger, uh, Stephen King's dark tower vibe from the opening. Yeah, I, I definitely, that, that shot through my head and, and I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but you, you kind of put something up from right where somebody With mentioned. the Blood Meridian stuff. Yeah. And, and Blood Meridian, as soon as you posted, I was like, of course, because as soon as I saw the hanging tree, that was so familiar to me and I didn't know what it was triggering off of. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you mentioned Blood Meridian, I was like, Abs- I know exactly the scene that they're talking about in Blood Meridian, and that is exactly taken from the book. Um, <clears throat> so I think, I don't I'll know. also say, apparently uh, people on Reddit were saying that that is also in the comics. It could mm-hmm. still very much be influenced by Blood Meridian. Right. But it was also in the comics. Yeah. So, um, but what, what triggered off in my head was uh the dark tower series um did you read have you read the dark tower series rob i have tried and i do not like the first book at all really and and people have told me that i have to get through it and it'll start fitting together but i just i disliked it enough that i never went back to it i'm in the same boat tried to read the first book didn't like it have not gone back to it. 
Yeah. Well, I've <clears throat> I've read I, I've read that series, and I feel like Stephen King definitely, and in that series in particular, I think has hit our generation right as being a touchstone of whether it's Damon Lindelof or um, even the Preacher series. Um, I read an interview where Stephen King uh, claimed to have been influenced by Preacher and vice versa, where I think his series is kind of mythology like of our generation. Um, and, uh, and so I don't see how you can create a Western mythology and not reference Stephen King and the dark tower series a little bit. Um, so even though it's not a graphic novel interpretation, some of the imagery and there, they are these, um, famous, uh, drawings that are included in certain um editions of Stephen King's books mm-hmm. and some of those reflect the imagery of like him standing in the uh in the doorway um of him eating at the uh campfire um that totally made me think Dark Tower and Gunslinger mm-hmm. um just as a visual reference but I think I think Blood Meridian is a more interesting and more exact uh representation yeah can i skip the first book of can i split skip the gunslinger start at book two and and go from there and then maybe when i'm into it go back or or do i you have to read the bad one um did you see that stephen king went back and and did a new edition of the of the gunslinger it's probably a few years ago Within the past ten years, uh, no, it, I probably I probably want to say it's probably exactly like ten years ago or something. This would have been two thousand five, two thousand six. Okay, I would probably say go to Wikipedia and read those detailed rundowns. Like somebody basically on Wikipedia for any big piece of media will yeah. go through and basically transcribe. It's like it, the cliff notes. Yeah, it's the cliff notes. Read the cliff notes of the first one because you need that basis. You could probably get through cliff notes and then you can jump in um, because book two on gets very ambitious. Uh, the other the other thing that stood out to me almost immediately in this episode, besides the Saint of Killers, was the sound design. Oh, now, yeah. Keith and I were watching it at my house and I have my TV. You know how, when you're listening to a TV, sometimes it can be difficult to hear what people are saying. So I basically have my TV balanced to be able to always hear what a person (laughs) is saying at the expense of everything else. So listening to my TV doesn't sound that great. With that being said, we don't use this TV a lot to watch a lot of things like mostly sports. So it doesn't really matter. But listening to this episode was almost torture because the sound design is very abrupt. It's very brash and it's like intense. It's very intense. Um, Rob, did you notice that at all? It, did it affect your viewing at all? Because it really it really put me off and it made me I don't know. It just felt weird the first time I watched it. 
I'm really dumb when it comes to like sound design and stuff. I can't I can't tell you a single thing about it except for there were some really cool country songs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I started thinking if they don't sell a soundtrack to the se- first season of Preacher, <laughs> then they are missing the boat because there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to listen to. But yeah. as far as it being scored like a horror movie, I, I didn't I I don't I don't take TV in like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. If you watch it again, though, pay attention to when the the year 1881 gets flashed okay. on screen. It's like a ghost just jumped out okay. at you from the screen. I mean. Right. And, and it's this it's the score. I mean, it goes from being basically silent to a somebody cut. died on the keyboard. Right. And then giant text on the screen and then yeah it's just like this loud and again the second time i watched it i had headphones in it did not sound as sort of unbalanced or as abrupt as i remember it being yeah and they do it a few times like like there there are a few moments where um where the preacher is outside smoking a cigarette and he flicks it away and looks off into the darkness then walks into the um church the the score builds there and then when he gets trapped by Tulip and he sees whatever she put in the roadway mm-hmm. right That's before right. she tases him, the score builds just like to this crescendo. Mm-hmm. And it's an obvious choice, but it's an interesting choice because I don't know why why they're scoring it like that. It just it's something that I'd like to follow through with it to see if they do that next episode i'm i didn't have a negative reaction to it Mm -hmm. it was just something that i noticed and it made me wonder what what their uh intention is behind behind those decisions yeah i can't really speak to much of the score but the sound design for when he uses the word this time uh, i thought it was pretty effective um we had talked a lot about using the word you know in the first episode uh, did you guys like it? Did it did it start to feel natural? Did it feel right for you? Especially the you know the very first scene where it's starting to like build and build and build. See now, I was conf- I was a little confused by that. Because, I mean, I guess he's still figuring out the power. I guess he, that's the point of it. Is he's still learning it? Um, and so I I understand that I understand and I understood while watching it that that's what was happening, but I guess I was confused that he then didn't use it. You know what I mean? That it was just this building up ultimately to nothing. And then I guess it also kind of seemed like he was confused that he didn't use the word at the end of that scene. He seemed a little confused. Maybe I'm misremembering it or I was just, maybe I'm just projecting (laughs) I, th- I think this episode is him discovering that he has right. a power. I don't think that he understands it. I think it's funny that in one of the f- first scenes of the show, you have other people dealing with the death of that character in the pilot who cuts his heart out in front of his mom, but you never see Jesse deal with it. Yeah. It's like Jesse could care less that somebody in his congregation went and cut his right. heart out. And then also... Jesse seemingly doesn't put two and two together. Right. I was surprised they didn't use that moment. Like I said in the in the pilot, I was surprised that they didn't use that to be like for him to and maybe they will eventually. Right. But to be like for him to be like, oh, that's what this thing does. Mm-hmm. 
Well, he seems to be putting it together. Yeah. And this is something that I, I wanted to talk to you about too, Rob, is the use of the word. So what I found interesting, why I asked last week too, I don't know if he was on the podcast or off, but in the in the comics, Jesse uses the word only a handful of times. But also he uses it as a as a judgment. Many times when he's using the word, it's as punishment for people. But what this show is is kind of exploring and something that I thought about too when I was reading the comics is the word of God is not always used in judgment, right? Like if if he has the power of the word, then you have to assume that Jesus had the power as well. And Jesus spent much of his time walking around like telling lame people to stand up and walk and healing people. And in the comics, Jesse only uses the word to like punish people. And so I found it interesting that in this episode, Jesse, or at least the showrunners are going to explore the idea of the word being used as a restorative force. Um, I wanted to get your, get your take on that. If the comics ever stood out to you in that way, like why isn't Jesse, why, why is he only using this as a, as a vengeance thing? Like he can be going and making people's lives better. Mm -hmm. You know, the first time I watched this episode and he's dealing with a pedophile, I thought that he specifically decided to not use the word on him that very first time. And I started typing notes real quick. Like, is that going to come back to haunt him? You know, what, what's the deal with him not using it? But then he seemed to figure out that he could use mm -hmm. it on the dogs. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he wants to try it out later. So on the second viewing, I was like, okay, well, maybe it started bubbling, but he didn't use it because he didn't know he had it. So that was a little confusing for me. As far as the comics, I feel like it goes back to him trying to be like macho and in control, and he didn't want to overuse it. I think they, there were times when he used it on Cassidy, mm -hmm. and it really like tore the two of them apart, you know, because he did because they he didn't want Cassie didn't want to feel like he had no control or anything like that. So I think maybe that's why he used it sparingly. I'm much more interested to see in this series him actually use the word and especially like at the end, you know, to try and experiment with the word, just how powerful is it? You know, what, what can he do with it? Yeah. I mentioned to Justin, what if, what if she opens her eyes, but the word has not restored her brain. So she's just like screaming in agony. Exactly. <laughs> what if her eyes just... open, she can't close them. Right. Right. She, they dry not, out of her skull. She's, she's not awake. Mm -hmm. She just has her eyes open. Like, <laughs> like I think that's worst case scenario. I think that's where we're headed. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this woman just has a vegetable laying in her house with her eyes open her eyes 24 open. hours a day. <laughs> you didn't say wake up. That's you true. Open your eyes. Yeah. But I mean, you, you wonder, you know, could he say like restore your own brain? Yeah. You know, because I mean, her brain is smashed in. Go back to normal. Go back to normal. <laughs> like, you know, so I think it's interesting what that they're going to see that. Do you remember her name? I don't know. I don't uh, think she ever got a name, actually. 
She's I think just the mother maybe said it, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know who that girl is. She's kind of a mystery, right? She she's somehow she seems to she be lives s- in the town. somehow tied in with the pedophile. No, no. I think I think it just felt that way when we were watching first because the scenes were were next to each other. See, I got the impression that the that pedophile has something to do with her accident. No, the the mom says something about her never being able to ride a horse again or something uh-huh. or how much she loved to ride horses. So I got the idea that she fell off a horse. Okay. Or was thrown from a horse. I have a prediction. You want to you want to put it on the board. Put Rob's it on the board. Pr- yeah. Rob's prediction that this she is Eugene's girlfriend and she and Eugene had some type of suicide pact mm-hmm. and when eugene and root were walking out of the baptism and someone said you know murderer murderer they weren't talking to root they were talking to eugene oh that's a good point because i noticed that the first time and i didn't know what they said mm-hmm. and then when i watched it the second time i heard them say murderer and i thought because one of the first time i saw it i assumed it was addressed towards eugene the second time I saw it, when I heard them say murderer, I assumed it was addressed towards Ruth, towards Hugo. So that's an, I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting take. And yeah. Then I, th- I think back to Eugene asking for forgiveness and like he doesn't think God is going to forgive him, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if he's the catalyst for that, that action or something happening and that's what he was asking forgiveness for? Not necessarily him you know, trying to kill himself, but what, or maybe she was there or, or something like that. I, I, that's the way I took it. Like that they are connected and we're going to find something out between the two of them. I think that's going to prove to be right. And I think you're going to get a point. So I think I need to come up with a, <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of this quiet, just trying to think of another prediction right. I can make. Well, I'll say this, the, 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 the stuff between um, Eugene and Jesse. I think I absolutely. I, I do think you're right, Rob. I think that's a, a great observation. But but Eugene is a projection for Jesse's struggles, right? Yeah. So Eugene is giving voice to what Jesse's concerns about his own faith are. Mm-hmm. So when Eugene is saying, you know. I I keep asking for forgiveness, but I'm just the, still the same person. That is Eugene's concern, I suppose, but it is it is a reflection of what Jesse is dealing with. Absolutely. Okay. And I think they're doing a great job with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do too. The other thing I'll say about that moment is it's another moment with sort of like a heavy um, horror movie tone to it. Mm-hmm. When um, Jesse is trying to cut his chain off mm-hmm. and Eugene walks in through the lights, mm-hmm. that slow walk in does such a <laughs> good slash terrible job of highlighting the slobber that's all around his <laughs> mouth hole. It was the yeah. best. It grossed me out so much. <laughs> I, I thought of you immediately and I was like, they did it, you know, because in the comic, he's always dribbling all over. Yeah. Always <laughs> dribbling. And they went there and they did it and I loved it. Um, I'm sorry it grosses you out. It's just awesome. Um, <laughs> I mean, it Justin. is a great detail, yeah. but it is also disgusting. <laughs> but perfect. 
Um, so early on in the episode, we have an introduction to Odin Quincannon, who is the bald, uh, bald guy sitting in the house negotiating some contract to buy out the property. He's played by Jackie Earl Haley, who played uh, Warshack. Warshack, yeah. But the first thing I thought of that, um, Keith, I'll get your reaction to first. The first thing I thought of was you and you and Rob both said when you read the comic, you imagined his voice to be this high pitched voice. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the performance from Jackie Earl Haley, it's a very subdued mm-hmm. Jackie Earl Haley, low sort of gravelly voice. So what did you think of his performance of Quinn Cannon, uh, albeit, you know, short? Yeah, I'm going to say that Quinn Cannon leaves a lot of room to go up. Yeah. I think Jackie Earl Haley is just laying a foundation here. And in the way that he got lost in talking about the cycle of how meat is produced... Kind yeah, of yeah. shows where they're gonna go. Yeah, they're gonna do it, and that's gonna oh, be. It, they're going there. They're going. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going there. So the fact that his voice wasn't high pitched, when I think about the things that we're gonna see him doing later on, <laughs> I'm okay with it because you're gonna see him doing some very right. insane things. Uh, so if if he feels like, hey, I gotta I gotta leave room for this character to go up. <laughs> And the voice is, is I'm going to keep that down here for now. Right. Yeah. Then that's, that's fine with me. Cause yeah, he's going to, he's going to go, he's going to go places. Yeah. Keith nailed it. Uh, the glasses are great. Um, I think Jackie Earl Haley, I think he did a great job. Um, I'll give you a great, the, the deep gravelly voice. I don't know that he was exactly subdued, um, but perfect. I just, I, even though the voice is wrong, you know, that's just how we kind of like read it. Keith's right. It's they're going to go there and it's going to be great. Yeah. And and he's, I think, I really think he's going to be, you know, someone that we're going to come to hate and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, we questioned last week whether or not he was going to be two things. Was he going to be racist and this other type of villain, or was he just going to be the other type of villain? Did you guys notice that the family that they were kicking out were Native Americans? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, the kid says, did you see any engines? And then there's um, there's also scalped, you know, mm-hmm. Indians in the tree. Do you think that that's that that's, that's going to go somewhere, or do you think that just happened to be who was cast for um, for that, that family? Yeah, I think I think it's for me it feels like they're tying the violence and the racism as being part of the earth in this in this area. Just, it's built it's built in to it, you know. I just thought wasn't it also a Native American um mascot that got changed? Yes. Right. So maybe right. that's going to be the racism that they explore rather than, mm-hmm. you know, like the black and white. That, that's interesting. Just happened. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's how I took it. It definitely makes sense. Um, and I think they very purposefully cast, you know, a native American family to be kicked out of the house. But I'll say that it, it seems like a lot for the show to take on. And it seems like 
they're and and maybe we're assigning some of this stuff to the show because of what we know of the comic. But it seems like they're starting to stack issues on issues and issues <laughs> and that might get a little out of control unless yeah. they really take their time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, or or just keep it subtle. Just just sure. keep in the just yeah. keep in the background sure. like they're like they're doing. Where it's definitely there. Uh the the dots are there, but it's up to us to connect them because they're not going out of the way for you know, like Jesse hasn't stood up and been like you're all racists, you know? Um, but they clearly, a lot of them are. Exactly. Um, maybe we're just, we're putting more importance on this than, than maybe we're going to see, but there'll still be that stuff in the background. Right. Uh, we get a big Jesse and Cassidy scene in the church where they're drinking in the church. They're, uh, slagging off the big Lebowski. Right. And like um, how Eugene represents Jesse's sort of inner uh, fears, at least about faith in God, Cassidy is, I think, supposed to represent the ideological opposite of Jesse. They're supposed to represent conflicting viewpoints. And that's what most of their scenes end up being. Jesse is A, Cassidy is B. They They joke about it in a humorous fashion and then it turns violent but what did you think of sort of the lead up to it Cassidy reveals how old he was which I think he said like 119 or something like that which seems a little to me young right like I'm thinking Cassidy is like hundreds or thousands of years old I'm not thinking like a hundred and nine like there have been humans that have lived to 119, right? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem that remarkable. I mean, he still looks young, of course, but it's like, he seems a little more pedestrian to me now, I guess. <laughs> I was just disappointed that he wasn't way older than 119. The impression I got from the comics was that he's been around for centuries. No. So, is that, so that's the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. You, oh, were, okay. you were two books away from that answer. Exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> you pulled up just short of getting that resolved. Yeah, no, he's he's relatively young and that's part of the problem of Cassidy in the in the comics is that he was young when he was turned into a vampire and he's n- never had to mature beyond who he was and is. Uh and he's never been pushed to mature yeah. And that's part of the story of him and and Jesse. Okay. Uh there's also a Big Lebowski diss in the conversation. Um Rob, have you seen the Big Lebowski? Sure. Okay. Do you like the movie? So whose side are you on? Jesse or Cassidy then? Cassidy. Really? Whoa. Not a fan. Well, I don't think it's shite, but I don't think it's great. I uh. think it's highly <laughs> overrated. Okay. I mean, I never, like, I watched it at the right age. I was in college, and that I love John Goodman. I mean, he's, like, my all-time That's favorite right. man crush. Um, well, then then you didn't watch it with the right people. And I blame <laughs> I blame the people you watch with for, for letting you down, and I apologize for them, Rob. Maybe I'll have to rewatch it. I, I do have it downstairs somewhere, I think. Um, I, highly overrated so i kind of like i laughed when cassidy said that you know yeah. that was a shite movie i was like yeah you're right yeah i found i just i i really appreciated the line reading 
So when he first mentioned it, it it was too out of like it was too obvious. Mm-hmm. Like in that list of what he gave, I'm a right-handed Sagittarius. I blah blah blah, and I think the big Lebowski. Well, it is also a little weird to have something from the real world i guess be mentioned and and for that thing to be the big lebowski well, yeah yeah and <laughs> yes yeah especially where they're at i mean yeah. they're they're in a town that barely has electricity you know it's not you don't think the cohen brothers are you know the first thing that people run to watch in that mm-hmm. town but what i liked was that built to something and i think that they found a way to to bring it around for me. So when he when Cassie ends up saying like no it's a shite film and he's reaching down for the keys, there's real regret there in his voice. Mm-hmm. And you know I mean you can kind of and you you put in this package of this pop culture reference, you know. So I like the fact that they didn't just leave the pop culture reference on the table. They actually yeah. used it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they ended up using it well. So so I like that. I'm glad there wasn't just a, a one-off like Cassidy said the big Lebowski as I nudged the person next to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Jesse drinks the, uh, rubbing alcohol, the, the Joaquin Phoenix concoction of <laughs> various liquids you should not be drinking and immediately passes out. And we get a shot of Genesis inside of, or I get, have we named it? I guess I'm sure we've named it. It's it's, it's named it's, it's Genesis, named in, Genesis the in the con in the mm-hmm. in the comic. Whatever the entity inside of Jesse is known like, as Genesis in the comic that gives him the word that gives the him the word, the word right is doing something in the body. Now Keith, you mentioned before we started recording that you thought it could be it. it it could be Genesis wrestling with the alcohol. If, 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 uh, so my thought was that the first thought that I had is that it looks to me like cancer because the gen- Genesis is, or the, the entity is black and it's doing something inside the body <laughs> that does not look good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking it, it, they could be setting up as, as sort of a, a cancerous a cancerous uh, thing because it starts to take over. It's going to start taking over Jesse's body. That's the impression I got. Um, what, uh, Rob, what was the impression that you got from the scene? Like, did you read it that way? Did you, and I should say we both watch every one of us here watched it twice and we're all a little, um, confused Confused as as to what's going on which and i don't think there's supposed to be a definitive answer at this Mm -hmm. point to me it just struck me as that i could see that very easily becoming a cancerous theme where it's like this thing is in his body and it's slowly taking over and maybe he thinks that's a good thing because it's given him this power to uh as we've seen so far he's using it once he knows he has it he's trying to use it for good um, but ultimately it's a bad thing potentially. Um, Man, Rob, wanna, how did you see that? I don't want to see that at all. I don't want to see the, the power of the, it's going to grow when he uses the power and it's going to take over mm-hmm. him more and then it'll be like, it'll be less him in control and more of that in control. Man, I hope they don't go that way. That's so like, 
I don't know, pedestrian. I don't want to see that at all. Mm -hmm. What did I think it was? I have no idea because I watched it and it it really stuck out as. As being different than anything else in the show, because it was kind of like bright and strange. And on the second watching, I was like, okay, well, let's see if it's if it turns into a shape that I recognize Mm -hmm. or or if it's going to give me some type of symbol or a hint or a clue. And it didn't. And then, of course, I meant to look up a, like still pictures of it and I didn't get an opportunity to. I'm I'm at a loss. I'm not sure what they're trying to say about that. And they, and they spent money on it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, yeah. A, that's a visual, like a yeah. special effect that they went out of their way to create. It's, it's a television special effect. So right. like Rob said, it, it kind of stands out because yeah. it's very, it's very visually different. But But they had to say like, this is what we want you to be. To depict, we want yeah. to depict this black thing. The I my it was red. Com- it was. It was. It yeah. was black, and the, but there was also red, red and it, it looked like a clear. He was wrestling with something clear, clear, which would be the alcohol, right? So, so I, I kind of did a my my kind of half joking response was this: like, is it wrestling without? Does it have like an alcohol um, allergy? That it just like right. <laughs> pisses it off, but now I want to right. throw that off as like maybe a a half joking serious like Genesis has been depicted as a baby, um in the comic, and I think it's it's a baby too, it, or been referenced like compared to a baby here as well, in the show, especially because the way that the two investigators seemingly try and get Genesis out of Jesse is through a nursery rhyme. Um, right. Was that a calliope? Calliope? That, that machine they were using? Oh, oh. I don't know. I have no idea what that machine was, but that whole sequence reminded me of the Frighteners for some reason. I don't know why. They don't do anything like that in the Frighteners, but <laughs> I, he does use like old... Doesn't he use old technology in that movie, Michael J. Yeah. Fox? Yeah, yeah. It just reminded me of the Frighteners for some reason. Right. But but I mean, I, I imagine like if a baby had a little more um, intuition and will, if a mother drank that kind of alcohol, it might have a similar reaction. Like it might <laughs> try to actively fight that alcohol in the womb. So uh, that that's the best thing that I could come up with. If, but why would you spend so much money on a visual gag like that? Doesn't make sense. Th- this idea may make zero sense, but le- let's walk through it, if you would, Keith. If we think about Genesis as uh, like a Christian-oriented thing, you know, coming from the heavens, coming from heaven. I like where al- you're going, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> is alcohol... Are you not supposed to drink alcohol if you're if you're a Christian? See, I I like I like what you're I like what you're thinking, but alcohol would be a bad example because Jesus his the first wine, miracle right? was turning water into wine. Yeah, all right. That, that depends stupid. on who you ask. Gotcha. And it also seems like no, I think it makes sense, mm-hmm. but it seems like. For this, it seems like this show is more intelligent than to do something like that. You know what I mean? It seems like not intelligent. It seems like it's more um, nuanced 
than to have it just be as simple as it's alcohol and Christians don't like alcohol. Yep. So we're just going to show it fighting. No, no, don't no. Idea. But, Got it. Rob, no, don't take <laughs> it back. Because I like the idea of this like pure spirit being in any way right. corrupted or challenged by the human form that it inhabits. I mean, that's a that's a very interesting idea that might have some play. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think alcohol, but but no, I think that's a I think that's a really good um observation. And at the same time, it very well could I mean look, we're analyzing a two second long scene. It could very well have been ha- as simple as we're just going to show this thing fighting <laughs> against alcohol because it's like alcohol or could for it religious purposes or whatever as simple as, Hey guys, you need to remember that there's something in here and that's right. what the investigators are going after. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's, that's it's very true. Yeah. It's battling. It's maybe not battling for Jesse, but it's fighting to, it, it, it's fighting for itself. And in that case, maybe, fighting against the bad things that would happen to Jesse, which, which do kind of hold true in the comic that if there's something that's going to take Jesse out like this extreme alcohol, or maybe later on, if he gets shot or something that maybe Genesis can be a force in there that's restorative or that's protective of Jesse's body. And then we get the, so after the investigators do their uh, nursery rhyme, hocus pocus, they, uh, Cassidy walks in and there's a fight scene. And Rob, you had written down um, that you had felt that the tone of the show had lightened up from the first episode. And when I read that, the first thing I thought of was this fight scene, especially when I watched it for the second time, because it is very uh over the top mm-hmm. and it is very as lighthearted as a blood soaked limb uh removing fight scene can be it was lighthearted <laughs> so were you thinking about this scene in particular when you when you noticed that tonal shift or were did you have something else in mind it wasn't anything necessarily specific it was just the, the episode as a whole seemed lighter somehow um not not it maybe it's equally dense it's easy it's crazy um it's it's not subtle just like the first episode wasn't but something seems different from that episode to this episode and it may be that this was a pilot and um some of the stuff um being a pilot the way it was you know, scripted and written, and this was probably, you know, written, you know, much longer afterwards. That may have yeah. something to do with it. It just felt, it felt better to me. Mm-hmm. I liked it better. I liked Cassidy and Jesse together. I liked the fight scene with Cassidy better than in this episode than I did with him in the airplane. I could understand him, first off. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I still didn't like Tulip. Um, but we'll get to her. Yeah. Um, I liked almost that there was, it was like contained and we, we did get some episode wise, you know, we got some 
crazy stuff in the beginning with the pedophile. We got some resolution at the end. We got some build with hay. We have the, you know the power and stuff. I, I just I, I liked it more, and I wanted to know if you guys thought the tone lightened as much as I did. And I it wasn't specifically that scene as much as I loved that scene. Yeah. Keith, did you feel like the tone was different? Um, I, you know, I thought, I don't know if the tone lightened, but the vision was clearer. Yes. For what, yes. for what they were okay, trying yes. to accomplish. Yeah. And I, I thought that that, that scene was so perfectly realized for what they wanted it to do and accomplish culminating in that chainsaw arm, which is just, br- just brilliant. Yeah. Visual gag. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I thought that there was, there was better clarity in, in what they executed. So yeah. they, they weren't, they knew what they wanted. They weren't sure how to get it. The first episode, they had done it. They had watched it. They had taken time. Now they know now it's realized that, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that it wasn't necessarily the tone, but as much as just like the, the production. Right. I definitely, I noticed the, the, like I said, the, the lightened, the tone felt lightened in that fight scene, but that could have just been the fight scene. But the other scenes I think about are like the opening, um, where they're in, are they in the church? They're in some sort of gathering and there's a lot of people around. But I think a lot of that difference comes from the fact that you're now seeing Jesse actually interact with the people around him. Whereas in the first episode, it was a lot of him by himself figuring things out and other people more or less by themselves being introduced. And now you're seeing everybody interact with each other. Right. Um, And the chainsaw. So Keith and I have known each other for... 16 years now we met rob through our podcast and we don't know or i don't know much about rob and so a lot of these (laughs) questions are just me being curious about what you have and haven't seen so the chainsaw part where the where the arm is still attached to the chainsaw and is slowly crawling across the room Mm -hmm. to me was a um, very clear visual reference to army of darkness I don't know if it happens in Evil Dead, but I'm pretty sure it happens in Army of Darkness. Have you seen any of the Evil Dead movies or Army of Darkness, Rob? Yes. Okay. So did you get that same feeling? Yes. It even felt like a little video gamey. And, and yeah. I liked they were going to go there and do that and, and have fun with it. That, that was great. And, and I think, that again, this is... I, I just feel like we're in really good hands because they know how to reference and adapt and blatantly rip off in a way that feels interesting and exciting. So it doesn't bother me that it's like, Oh, that's blood Meridian. Oh, that's dark tower. Oh, that's uh evil dead or army of darkness or whatever. Cause it's been fun so far. It's been, it's been great. It's yeah. been great. But talking with you guys uh, yesterday or Monday, you weren't, up on the episode at first. Justin, yeah, well, at least. Yeah, well, I'll say, I'll say first and foremost, the reason for that is that we watched, we decided to watch <laughs> the episode at halftime of the Warriors-Cavs game. And the, 
And so that so I just started off in a bad place because I was watching that game. And it got interrupted by the storm. Right. And oh yeah, we were get also getting interrupted by a storm because we have direct TV. But anyways, not to get too deep into the basketball stuff. I'm not a fan of the Warriors or the Cavs, <laughs> but what I do want is a good basketball series, right? I don't want to watch the Harlem Globetrotters play the <laughs> New York Generals or whoever they are for the f- <laughs> four games in the finals of the NBA. I want to see a close game that goes to hopefully seven games or even a four-game sweep if all of the games are really close. Instead, what we're getting is blowouts for the first two games. And you know what we're going to get for the last two games? Blowouts because <laughs> the Cavs stink. And so my finals are ruined because it's, they're just so unevenly matched. But anyways, I can't believe at, basketball is still going on. I went on a cruise <laughs> over a month ago and the playoffs were just starting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why the playoffs are great. They last forever. <laughs> so so I went into it sort of in a hole, right? In a bad place because the game was so out of control at halftime, or at least it it felt so out of control at, a, at halftime that we decided just to watch Preacher instead. So you add that to, I think, the terrible sound. And another thing that always bugs me a little is, and Rob, you mentioned this a little bit before, is there is such a huge gap in between when the pilot is filmed and the rest of the season that there are sort of naturally going to be small inconsistencies. And I know that, and I recognize that, and it still bugs me in every (laughs) single show. The Cassidy's haircut drastically changed from the first episode to the second episode, and I know it's not a big deal, but it bugs me a little bit, right? <laughs> the cinematography from the first episode is a lot more subdued than the what I felt like was a very high contrasted cinematography mm-hmm. in the second episode. Mm-hmm. And that bugged me a little bit. Um, I feel like the a classic example of this is House. Did either of you watch House? Nope. No. The, f- the pilot episode is directed b- by Brian Singer. And the rest of the series is just a pretty standard medical Workman-like. procedural mm-hmm. but the first episode is so highly stylized and the color correction on it is so insane that it looks like a, a completely unrelated show from the rest of the season and when i first watched that i was like how does this make sense to anybody how does this like isn't the pilot supposed to be like a representation of what the show is going to be anyways so that's kind of where I was at. And and after I watched it the first time, I was having a hard time concentrating on it too, just because <clears throat> I'm grumpy because of the finals. <laughs> and I knew as soon as it was as it was over, not only did we miss pretty much all of that final scene with the pedophile, because the cable went out, I just knew like I've got to watch that again when I'm in a better mood. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I, I liked it a lot more. <laughs> I haven't known you long, but I know that you're grumpy and you do not like things. Right, exactly. I think that's how I get labeled. But I mean, I don't view it as always being grumpy. I just view it as being incredibly selective. Mm-hmm. Did you guys think that this was a hopeful episode? Well, I think it... I think it leaves you hanging on that question because 
he uses the word on this injured girl. But I think the sense that we all have is that it's not going to work out the way that he intends it to. Even though he has good intentions that they're not going to, they're, they're, they're not going to uh, be executed the way that he intends. And then, and then it also kind of leads into another thing that I know that we were going to talk about, which is Jesse Custer being a bad, bad man. Like Tulip, says he is yeah so you have in in this whole episode this kind of tension and this pulling between this man who wants to be a man of faith but in the end he ends up you know beating up a pedophile and being called a bad bad man by someone who knows him extremely well so i think as hopeful as this could be it's always going to be balanced out by this pull towards darkness that I think is the epitome of the, of the series. So almost like a calm before the storm. Like this is yeah. what it could be, but that's not what we're going to. Yeah. Gonna we're not going to get this. It's like, uh, right before Ned's Ned is beheaded in uh, <laughs> game of Thrones. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh, he's going to be redeemed a little bit. And it's like, Nope, no, this is, this is that right before <laughs> Rob. Did you think it was a hopeful episode? I did. I, um, Keith already explained it all, but yeah, I, I thought that it, it gave it like this episode gave me more hope than the other one did. Um, yeah. With seeing the people and the baptizing and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And it seemed like, but even yeah, that, Eugene not, I mean, is like this stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, with that though, Eugene's like at the end wanting to be work, baptized again yeah. because it didn't work. You know, maybe he just needs to use scalding hot water like he did on the pedophile. There you go. Needs to leave a mark <laughs> with it. That's what needs to happen. I got the impression that that was something that they did regularly. That that wasn't your, you know, your first regular traditional what I would think of as baptism that that was something different that he was doing to like to cleanse you of, you know, of sins that you, mm, that maybe you, you give the preacher your sins and then he cleanses you of them. It's, it's like, like something that town for does. Catholics. I didn't get the impression that that was actually, like, Hey, this is the one time you get baptized, you know? Right. That'd Not be sure. heresy. Not sure. <laughs> heresy. Uh, before we talk about, so I do want to talk about Jesse and 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 how and and the preacher that he is in the show and that he is in the comic. But before we get to that, let's talk about Tulip. So she has a a scene at a place called Toadvine's Whorehouse, which apparently Toadvine is also a reference to Blood Meridian because mm-hmm. there's a character named Toadvine, Toadvine in there. Yeah. Um, but I saw a question on Reddit that I thought was interesting, and I wanted to ask you guys. And it kind of hit the nail on the head for what I was feeling about Campy, about Campy, about (laughs) Tulip. And it's that her performance is too campy. It just seems to be a little more over the top than the rest of the characters on the show. She is constantly winking or smirking or... Uh, doing something to set herself apart and sort of over the top just a little bit. Um, 
it's it's not enough for me to ruin the character or to ruin the show, but it is it does it definitely feels like she's at eleven and everyone else is at ten. It's not a huge difference, but there's I definitely felt like there's a difference there. I'm gonna uh, jump in before Keith does because I, I mine's quick. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, and we have different opinions. Cassidy, how could you over like Cassidy is uh, at eleven? Right. He's yeah. supposed to be at 11. He plays it at 11. You enjoy him at 11. She's like kind of trying to overact to like to overcompensate to, to maybe to try and be that type of character also. And it, for me, it's just not working. Like like yeah. you said, like with the smirks and the I just I just don't like her. I, I don't like the, the quip with the whole like. um you know, stop acting like a bunch of little girls or whatever that, you know, that was kind of funny. It was mm-hmm. weird that she was in that place. Um, it, <laughs> it was weird that she was setting up this other stuff with the, like she tased him for this. It, it just seemed, that seems, mm-hmm. mm. that, and this isn't me saying tulips different. I don't like tulip. It's just I don't really like this representation of tools. Well, and I think to say she's different is even a misrepresentation. She is she is not the same character. Like like she's she is she is the same in that her name is the same. Everything else about her is completely different from what I read in the comic, at least. Yeah, I I will try to meet you guys. Halfway. Which I'm not saying is a good or bad thing. I'm just saying mm-hmm. it's completely different. I'll try to meet you guys halfway and say her elaborate setups for asking him a question seems a bit much yeah it's I'm a not lot. a fan of that it reminded me of there's a show that i watched where it's a spy show and a guy basically has these uh counterparts come in and they're like we're not going to hurt you we just want to talk to you and he just randomly runs away and ends up killing himself <laughs> He ends up dying trying to run. And they're literally, they're like, all we wanted to do was talk to you. Why did you do this? You know? And uh, I, I got that same sense where it's like, ask him your question. You don't need to put something in a road. And how long was she sta- sitting there waiting for him mm-hmm. in the middle of a road? You know? Um, or how long did it take her to get his steering wheel up on that light? Like it just, yeah. it's just, just ask him your question. Let's keep this thing moving. Having said that, I love her portrayal of Tulip. Mm-hmm. I think that she's doing a, a really tough job of coming across as a tough, kind of believable, believable. character. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, in a way, believable, not in the sense of. Oh, yeah, these people exist. You know, I've bumped into a few people at Starbucks who remind me of this person. Mm -hmm. But believable to the character in that universe where I can believe that she exists in that show. That when I see her, I'm not feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is that overwritten character that's trying to do this. Or this is that, you know, actress or actor's really trying very hard mm. like a, a good example is um do you watch did you watch daredevil yeah rob froggy freaking <laughs> froggy, froggy in that show 
man, he every line that he says is false <laughs> to me. It's just it just takes me immediately out. He's trying so hard to be like the quipping sidekick, you know, and he just comes off. That's the kid from Mighty Ducks, right? Yes, as the most cloying character ever. Like mm-hmm. he is not realistic to me. He he does not exist in that world well. Um, he but, does not exist well in the real world of a blind lawyer beating the crap out of people. Exactly. Exactly. Uh And in this world where there's a vampire and a preacher as the word, right? Like it allows for a character like her. And I think that she's, she's excelling at her job. And she's, I think, I think she's holding her own with a character like Cassidy, who, like you said, gets to be 11 and she's not 11, but she's pretty close, and I, I think, I think she's fun. I've, I've been having a lot. Of First fun off, Foggy Nelson is very endearing in that series. Oh. I, I love his character. <laughs> Lo- I think he's oh. great. Um, as far as Tulip, apparently I say Tulip different than everybody else. Most people say Tulip, <laughs> but I say yeah, you're you're, you're like Tulip, 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 like toilet, like Tulip. People sometimes they say tool it <laughs> like tool, tool time. time. Yes. Um, where's it going with that? I, 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 I you were trying to stand up for, I foggy. saw her in, she played a, a really awesome character in agents of shield season one. And she was evil and she, it was fun and sexy and she was hot all the time and she looked great and she acted like I loved her in that series. And then I see her in this series and I can't even put those two people together. Um, it, there's something you don't like foggy and there's just something about her that that's not right for me. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what. That is a fair exchange. If we were uh, in the schoolyard and you came to me and asked to trade a tulip card for my foggy card mm-hmm. in a heartbeat, that Unreal. trade that trade would happen. Tulip. Uh, some other things we get from this scene is that she's involved with Quinn Cannon. Maybe not involved, but aware. Because the guy that she's playing cards with was the guy that who Donnie broke his nose in the car for picking up the pen for is that why I I don't I still don't understand yeah, like that to me. I didn't understand why he that did that That made no sense to me. Yeah, he he just slowly reaches over and slowly <laughs> pushes his head, his head and then I thought he was going to make him do something else. So did I. And the, but then he somehow slowly breaks his nose and then does it again by smashing yeah. right. But I didn't understand why well, it's because he took it upon himself to, in some ways, correct the mistake that he made in dropping. Oh, that's right. In dro- that's dropping right. the pen. Okay. So he reached out, he handed the pen. That's right. And he was like, you son of a... Because he's Quinn Cannon's right-hand man. Right. So he said to put him in his place. Well, he's his left-hand man now because his right arm is broken. Is broken. <laughs> exactly. And and I think he's acting out uh, based on his own impotence too. Yeah, yeah. So we and we also get a bunch of dialogue with her. And again, this speaks to her. I guess she she's she's involved with somebody 
she's getting a lot of phone calls. She's talking about someone named Danny, right? I am. I'm not getting Donnie and Danny mixed up, right? There's Donnie is the guy who <laughs> Jesse beat up and broke the guy's nose. And then Danny is the guy who she was talking about on the phone. Right. Yeah. Maybe Rob, any confirmation? Yeah. I can't. Okay, okay. I can't. I can't give a hundred percent. And so she's involved with something and I'm assuming that thing is what she wants Jesse to get involved oh, with, mm-hmm. which also involves a treasure map like that whole. I, th- I think I think she's using treasure map as a. Sure, a a metaphor. Metaphor. Sure. But that whole thing, for me at this point, again, it's only the second episode. It's a little too elaborate and it's a little too nebulous for me to get behind. Are you prepared for another crazy prediction? No, because I need to get my points up. Uh, The information that Danny has is going to be something that's going to. it's going to have something to do with uh, the investigators and Genesis and that type of situation. I think that in, geez, I hate saying this in the comics, Cassidy's the one that knew the people that knew, you know, uh, when we got to do the whole search for God type stuff, it was like Cassidy's friend was the one that got them started. Right. Cause he, he kind of like knew those people. I think maybe what's going to happen is she's going to, Danny's going to have that type of information or that type of lead or something. Um, and and that's going to like start that storyline going to plausible, implausible. That makes sense. Yeah. That, yeah, makes, that sense. makes sense. Plausible. And then the last note I had about Tulip is after she baits and tases and kidnaps and chains up Jesse, <laughs> she shows up in the window of the door in whatever mysterious building they're in wearing a mask. Now the people on Reddit, and I wrote this down because I never encountered this character in what I read from the comic. At least I don't think I did. Oh. No, I think, the, I think they're referencing Neil yeah, Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, Sandman, the yeah. Sandman. Oh, okay. Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, not familiar with that either, which is also a comic, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 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 the people on Reddit said that that was a Sandman mask. So what does that mean? Should should I have just ignored that yes. altogether? Because I assumed it was a reference to no. the comic yeah. or a different character from the comic. Sandman oh, okay. is this villain in in Spider Man, and he he moves sand around so he can hit you with a really big heavy piece of sand, and he can. That's who the guy from Wings away. played in San- in Spider-Man 3, right? Yeah, but no. Um, Sandman is a, a great character that Neil Gaiman created. And um, ha- like, if you want to read comics that go deep and hold up well and mm-hmm. aren't um, homophobic and racist and, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> the, Sandman is a good one, Sandman yeah. at some point. Um, I thought it was a, that it was a Boosh Leia mask when i first saw it you remember when um she goes to free han solo and she's dressed up in that um mm-hmm. uh, looks like it bounty hunter costume yeah so that mm-hmm. that's what i thought i thought it was a reference to that i i don't think it's any specific reference than sandman sure it could, it could be just another like little wink and a nod to, yeah. a, to a really good graphic novel yeah i haven't read any sandman comics and i haven't seen star wars so i've got oh my no goodness justin so to, to clear <laughs> this up um it's definitely not a sandman mask because the 
It wouldn't be okay. a Sandman mask. Sandman doesn't even wear Dream a mask, right? does have masks that he wears at times. Dream is the okay. character. And it's a completely different shape. And eventually okay. they did go through and they're like, hey, it's not that because of this. Because like you said, Reddit goes deep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yep. didn't stick around. I just saw the thing and I thought, oh, I'll ask about this. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about Jesse Custer and the preacher he plays in the comic and the preacher he plays in the television show. Because he seems to be completely at opposite ends of the spectrum. In the comic book, he is a preacher uh, through forced means. I never got the impression that he wanted to be a preacher. He doesn't ever at all seem interested in being an actual preacher in the comic. Whereas in the show, he, in these first two episodes, is legitimately trying to be a straight-up preacher. Like, praying, going to people's homes and praying with them. Uh, so, so what have, have, I, I've got a couple questions. Do you, th- I, I, I'm curious what the end point is going to be. Is, is this the way the arc is starting off? Because that is what his ultimate goal is. Are we as viewers supposed to be wanting or rooting for him to become a bad, bad man like Tulip says he is? Because that kind of seems to be the path they're going to go down. I mean, uh, Tulip says that. Um, He's going to break bad. Oh, good good one. Good time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I just, I just find it weird that the comic... W- this sort of idea to me never came up in the, in the beginning of the comic at least, but the show seems to be heavily. And again, with the people who's doing it, the show seems to be heavily centered around this guy being, or at least wanting and trying to be a good preacher. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so is that, is that Jesse's end goal to be like a, a man of faith and to be strong in his faith and to be a preacher serving the people of Anvil? Or are we in a maybe Walter White-esque situation where it's like, we're going to watch this person do whatever he needs to do to get to the, uh, to the, to the, to the end of his, or to, to get to his solution, whatever that may be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I have a theory that I can throw out really quick. And it's just that, um. It's just that he is a that that they don't think being a preacher is the best way to serve people and help people. The creators don't. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And Jesse is going is is on a journey to realize that there are other ways and better ways to help people than to be this idea of a preacher that he has in his mind that this is the way a preacher is supposed to be. Right. And so it's about him discovering there's more to it than this, that if he did become the best preacher he could be in the way that he understands a preacher be in that moment, he's not doing a lot of good. He's not able to offer a lot of people like any kind of lasting hope or change. We see that with Eugene 
And we see that with the mother of the girl who's comatose. She's like, the best thing you gave me, despite your beautiful words, was a casserole that can feed my dogs. Right. So I think that they're that they're saying this is not a good way to spend your life being this kind of a preacher. Right. So I don't think that we're going to see him break bad. I think we're going to see him discover a better way of meeting people's needs mm-hmm. uh, through faith. What I liked was that they went back and they kind of um, acknowledged some of the uh, dime store religion. I, I, I don't know how, what, like fifth grade Catholicism, I think is what I was, what, how I called it last week or whatever. When, um, yeah. In the comic, there were times where there, there were people, it was written in a way that was very shallow, a, sh- a very shallow version of, of religion and faith and Christianity, right? And in this, you got that with the, the pedophile, because it doesn't have a name, right? Just the pedophile. He, he goes up to Jesse and he's mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm sorry I, I did this thing. And man, I was this close to doing something, you know, this mm-hmm. close. It's like, but it's, but it's cool now, right? Because I told you I'm sorry. Right. But that's not how, and then Jesse has to explain to him that's not how it works. You know, that you actually have to be sorry and you actually have to, you know, to try and not sin and that type of stuff. So I liked that they, that, that we saw that this time, um, which has to do with him being a preacher. Um, also, you can see that he has faith even though he's struggling with with things whether i don't know that he's struggling with his faith but he's struggling how to to handle the situation that he has and i think if throughout the early parts of the season if he if he becomes you know faithful and firm in his faith and then they take something like they they take a story from the the comic series where god does something really bad or really stupid and then all hell's going to break loose. And that's when he becomes the bad, bad man, you know, as like a means to an end. And we're not and I don't I think it's too early to know exactly. If that's the way they're going, if uh, if that's going to happen or or what it's going to take to break that way. Do you know what I mean, Keith? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the with the whole. Yeah. I don't know how far into spoiler or like stuff we want to go. I, I don't want to. It's, I guess it's not a secret. We've talked about it in the comic. He actually tries to find the real God. Like he tries to go and find right. the real God right. and yeah. kick right. his ass. Yeah. Right. So we have to have well, that's, something that's the other happen thing. in this, this storyline to get him to that point. Hmm. Yeah. And I think in, in the comic faith is, isn't as much an issue because in the comic God is, yep, is real. He's not, and he ex- exists and everyone kind of, and that sort of takes the faith element out of, out of it, it when you know that he's real and you're literally talking to him face to face. I, you know, more or less. So I, I think that's another interesting question of, of whether or not they will take that path in the show. Maybe I'm using the wrong word. No, I think you're, I think, yeah. you're, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right too. All right, last thing I wanted to talk about, and we'll wrap up. The confrontation with the pedophile, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, there seems to be some confusion around who this pedophile is involved with, um, but his also ends with 
Jesse using the word on him mm-hmm. and saying, forget her, which again, if we're <laughs> taking, if we're taking all these things, literally, he will forget her. But then as soon as he sees her again, won't he just start the whole thing over again? <laughs> it's not like he won't be able to ever see her again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, th- I think, I think, I think it's implied that the power of the word will root that out, you know? And so even if he sees her again, he's forgotten her in the way that he knows her in that moment, Mm -hmm. which is hypersexualized, which is wrapped around, you know, his disease. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I think I, I'm, I'm fine with them. I'm fine with them using as a generality. I do wonder how much they're going to hold Jesse to, to account for his using the word because he's not being very specific and he could be more specific. Right. Um, but right now I get the sense that the show is just like, he's going to say this, it'll take care of it. We don't want him to have to, every time he uses the word say, Forget little <laughs> Susie Jenkins mm-hmm. who sits on the bus and don't have any feelings about, you know what I mean? Right. They, they just kind of want the word to be powerful because he speaks it and it's his intention that carries it through as, as well as the words. And so far, the, every time he's used the word, it's been, well, I guess, except for at the very end. So the first two times, it has been sort of a spur of the moment it's not a premeditated thing. It seems like he's just, it just sort of blurts out of him. Right. Like the quiet. Right. Well, if uh, nobody has anything else, I'll wrap the show up. Thanks for listening to everything is television. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or the Google play store. You can check out the sh- uh, show notes or our website, eipodcast.com, for all of the information we talked about. I'll try and link to the Reddit posts I talked about in the show notes. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at eipodcasts. I am on Twitter. I'm at blizzard with nine Zs. I'm at things come right. I'm at shiny underscore Rob. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, any at all. Just let us know your alive <laughs> hey we just want to know how you're doing good bad just, or indifferent yeah just right. come on and say hey man i'm doing good yeah family's great dinner was okay but you know my my health is a little shaky but i'm pulling through <laughs> work is a little tough right five stars yeah or even something like thank you so much for that <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so uh thanks for listening We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next week.